next few Sundays, we're going to be wrapping up our consideration of our study of the Holy Spirit. And more specifically, we're going to be looking at the role of the Holy Spirit within the church. The role of the Holy Spirit within the church. You know, since they're in order, they're supposed to be blue duckling. Since Pentecost, when after Jesus had risen and had ascended to be with his Father, and the Holy Spirit came down upon his believers, his followers, since that day, Christians have been getting together to worship. What should that worship look like? We have our way of doing things. Others have theirs. church that I used to pastor was very unlike this, in that I would stand here and there would be tables of six. And I would just lead a discussion with them. There are other churches that are like rock concerts. Seriously. And the worship is all led from the front and it's, it's really like a concert. There are others that get together just even around here where the services of a high order or very liturgical which follows a transcript very tightly, very much like it has for centuries. I think if you're going to take a look at what, script, what worship is supposed to look like, I think you need to look to the early church. It seems logical to me that that's where you look, not to what we've made it, but what it was right after Christ had ascended. <laughs> and in order to do that, too, I think it's important that you get some idea of what it was like for the disciples before Christ appeared in their lives. What was their worship like then? And so, we're going to take a look at what worship should look like. Don't be disturbed if it doesn't look like what we do. Keep an open heart. Before Christ, as you know, Christianity was born out of Judaism. Jesus Christ was a Jew. Grew up a good Jewish boy. Right? And the Jewish people would worship God in a few different places. One of the places that they would worship was the synagogue. You know, you read the Gospels and you're always hearing about Jesus went to the synagogue or what's going on in the synagogue. And then you hear other passages of Scripture that talk about a temple, which is in Jerusalem. I think that we need to think of, the, of this in this way, that the temple was the center of worship. The temples were actually the presence of God was known to exist. His very presence. But the synagogues were spread all over the place, sort of like satellite temples, if you will. 
And in those places, their services were not that much unlike what we do. You would come, there would be scripture read, and there would be somebody who would talk and teach, and there would be people that would sing songs. And that was the synagogue. And then in the temple, which is where good Jews went on a very regular basis, because that's where you went for, to be absolved. <laughs> that's where you went for forgiveness for your sins. That's where you went to give your offerings. And in the temple in Jerusalem, it was a bloody mess. Because people would be bringing animals that were being sacrificed on altars. And that was what had been prescribed by God in the law. And so, people would get into their little local synagogues and hear the word and sing and stuff. And then, on a very periodic but very regular basis, they would go to the temple and there would be worship going on there as well. In both instances, worship was organized and directed by professionals, by rabbis in the synagogues, right? The clergy, if you will, and in the temple by priests which actually was a class of people that God had ordained and had passed down through generations. And so the rabbi would direct a service in the synagogue. The priest would direct the worship in the temple. And it would be the priest who actually was the go-between. In the temple, it was almost like Worship by proxy. Because quite frankly, I didn't have, as a good Jewish person who went to the synagogue on a regular basis and heard the word and did my prayers and, and sang the songs, and then I went to Jerusalem and I went to the temple and I sacrificed, or I had sacrificed uh, temple uh, animals at the temple. I was basically asking someone else to do <coughs> for me, what I couldn't do myself. I was having a priest do for me what I couldn't do myself. Because I was not allowed to go into the presence of God. Only the priests were. And in fact, <laughs> only one priest was on the Day of Atonement, which was the big day when Israel as a nation called for repent or was called to repentance and went in for forgiveness for their sins. And that priest, as with all the other priests, had to be really well prepared, cleansed, <laughs> had to be uh, all washed up, all cleaned up, had to be well prepared to go into the presence of God. And so for the Jewish person before Christ, worship was very much something beyond their control, something that they bore very little responsibility in other than they had to make sure that they gave money to make sure that it, it kept going. And it was, it was um, a worship by proxy within the, within, the, within the temple because 
I, they couldn't do anything. All they could do was bring the animals and said, could you take this care of this? Could you go in to see God for me and take care of this for me? With the coming of Christ, all that changed. We read in Hebrews 10 these words. Day after day, Every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. And when this priest, that's Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. With Jesus Christ, there should have been instant unemployment for priests. They weren't necessary anymore. Because no more sacrifices were required. No more animals had to be killed. But as you know, it didn't end that. Scripture teaches us that God was very explicit, very explicit, about the end of the temple worship. <laughs> Remarkably, the curtain behind which the priests did their worship on your behalf was ripped in half. Not from the bottom up where guys like us could do it. But from the top that nobody could reach was torn. That was supposed to be the end of the priest. Working on behalf of me. Because now I was allowed to enter the presence of God myself. We read in Hebrews 10 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters... Since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened up for us through the curtain of his body. I like that because it equates Jesus' body to the curtain. The curtain that the priest went behind. Now, with <coughs> Jesus, I can enter the presence of God through Christ. Through the curtain of his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. He's referring there to baptism. So, with Christ, each follower has become a priest. No longer is the priestly caste required. We're our own priests. This is what Luther went on and on about. The priesthood of all believers. We are priests. We are doing the work that the priest used to do behind the curtain. We enter through the body of Christ into the very presence of God. In fact, because of the Spirit, we have God's presence right in us, inhabiting us. 
We are our own advocates. And so the priesthood was no longer necessary. Just think about that for a second. Think about the profound implications of that for the early church. Because we're all priests. We all want to worship. Hmm, what's that going to look like? We're all priests. We're all equal. What's that going to look like? At first, they didn't stop going to the temple, the early Christians, the very early Christians. Eventually, they got kicked out because they couldn't, the Jewish people and the priests, couldn't abide by this concept that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, and they saw themselves as priests. And so they left, right? They'd still go to the synagogues, but that got kind of old too because this Jesus thing was a problem for people. This idea that now everybody had full and unfettered access to God himself was revolutionary and became uncomfortable. And so what they would do is they would meet in people's homes. <laughs> Initially, every day of the week. Until they started thinking, that's a bit unpractical. <laughs> we do have to work. <coughs> so then they started meeting just once a week. But what was their service like? All of these priests piling into a house. What was it like? Well, in Acts, Peter said this. In the last day, he was quoting a prophet, Joel, who had lived hundreds of years before him, who had anticipated when the Messiah would come, the Christ. And he said, in the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. <coughs> this is what Paul was referring to. That whole experience that Joel was talking about, that, that God would be in each believer, and that each one was a priest. When he wrote about the gifts of the Spirit, we read in 1 Corinthians 12, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. To one there is given the, um, through the Spirit a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by that one Spirit. To another, miraculous powers. To another, proper, uh, prophecy. To another, distinguish between the ability to distinguish, to, to distinguish between spirits. To another, speaking in different kinds of tongues. Still another, to the interpretation of tongues. All these are work of one and the same Spirit. And He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. These gifts are the way that God equips us as priests together. So that He can be worshipped 
communally. Instead of there being some priestly class, a rabbi even, who is going to direct the worship, Joel prophesied that the Spirit would come upon each one, and each one would play a role in worship. Peter writes that we are all to play a role in the life of the church. In 1 Peter 2, we read these words. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. So we have the abolishment of the priesthood. We have the sidelining of the rabbis. We have the infilling of the Holy Spirit to each believer, and each believer becomes a priest. So what does church look like in that context? <clears throat> well, when you look at the descriptions of, in the New Testament of their worship services, the early followers of Christ wholeheartedly embraced this opportunity to be priests. To the extent that at one point the Apostle Paul has to write to the Corinthians and say, Whoa, settle down now. We've got to get some order out of this chaos. You guys are too enthusiastic about this stuff. We've got to settle things down. We just have to get things more orderly here. He writes these words. Paul, writing to the Corinthians. What then shall we say, brothers and sisters? When you come together, each of you has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Everything must be done so that the church may be built up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, two, or, or at the most three, should speak one at a time, and someone must interpret. If there's no interpreter, the speaker should keep quiet in the church and speak to himself and to God. Two or three prophets should speak, and the other should weigh carefully what is said. And if a revelation comes to someone who's sitting down, the first speaker should, should stop. If you can all prophesy in turn... No, for you can all prophesy in turn, so that everyone may be instructed and encouraged... The spirits of the prophets are subject to the control of the prophets. For, for God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the congregation of the Lord's people. This is going on all over the place. They were enthusiastic. They were excited about their opportunity to contribute to worship. They wanted to be a part of things. They wanted to speak. They wanted to praise. They wanted to... Share something. They were excited. <laughs> they were passionate. I don't know about you, but that description of the church doesn't resemble any church I've ever attended. Paul's literally having to rein in their enthusiasm. Just so that we can get a little bit of word here. 
importantly, I hopefully you noticed that, was so that everybody could be heard because everybody's got something good to say. And it's not them saying, it's God. It's the Spirit of God in them that's sharing this stuff. So you've probably been seeing these words blocking the Scripture, making it hard for you to read the words of Scripture. But I've been making the point that with the coming of Christ, with His resurrection and ascension, and the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we, each one of us, who has accepted Christ as the Lord, has been made acceptable to God. No longer is one person, only after extreme vetting and cleaning up, quite frankly, making pure, is able to enter the holy God's presence. We are all acceptable. We can enter the presence of God with confidence, knowing that we are covered in the blood of Christ. We are allowed to be in the presence of a holy God because of Christ. We've been, giving, been given access to God through His Holy Spirit. We have been equipped with gifts. And we've been assigned the role of contributing to worship. So the question of the day is, what happened? You're one slide behind, everybody. <laughs> what happened? What happened on the way from the temple and that worship to the cute little church in the valley in New Glasgow? What happens to the church? How come the church isn't like that church that I just read about? Why is that? You, saw, you see the, the arrows I put up here? We went back to the temple. We went back to the synagogues. You hired me. <laughs> right? We've essentially gone back in time God had created a direction, and we pulled it back. Why? We're still talking here. Why do you think that is? Why did we go back to the synagogue, let's say? Because this is more like a synagogue. I mean, really, going back to the whole thing of killing animals and stuff is so bizarre. So we, we won't go there. But let's just... This is not unlike a synagogue right now here, folks. This is not unlike a synagogue in the time of Jesus, except probably the women would be up there. It's not. We've read scripture, we've sung songs. You've heard a teacher. I'm your rabbi today. What happened? I would think that some of us are thinking, quite frankly, I think that we're all bristling at this right now, right now, I would think. Bristling a little bit. I bristle a little bit when I hear this. It's because I'm not used to it, right? 
and it feels a little out there. I, I, I'm guessing that, that, that we, we bristle at this because some of us are just saying or says, I'm just not that into it. Right? I mean, this Christianity isn't supposed to kind of mess your life up. It's not supposed to penetrate every facet of your life, is it? Am I, am I, I mean, really, come on. Um, some are saying, well, I, I don't have anything to share. Others are probably thinking, that's not kind of church that I signed up for. <laughs> Some of us are, I wouldn't share with these people. I don't trust them. <laughs> Frankly. Right? And so, we have to ask ourselves, why are we not like the church that needed a little ordering? <coughs> and why are we more like a synagogue in our worship? I personally believe we are missing out. You've noticed over time, you're very nice. My honeymoon period's way over, <laughs> which is still being nice to me. I like that. But I've noticed over time, you know, you've noticed over time, I'm hoping, that Tim's kind of like keeps insisting on changing that prayer time into a sharing time. Come on, buddy. Seriously? I'll tell you what is going wrong in my life. <laughs> or, no, not my life, other people's lives. But that, and that, you can do that, too. That's prayer time. But don't ask me to share. Don't ask me to tell you what God is telling me. There's a lot of questions why that. You feel that way, maybe. Like, I could stand up here as some self-righteous guy, but I've got to tell you, I feel as uncomfortable as you do with this. But I could stand up here as some self-righteous guy and say, your faith is lukewarm, that's why you don't want to do this. You know? You're a hypocrite. You're this and you're that. You're lazy. I could do all that stuff. You need to get your priorities straight. I could say all that. But you know what? I can't say that because I feel the same way. I don't want to say that to myself. And that's actually not the reason why we bristle at this. I honestly think that we as a church would be okay with this. But we, we need to get some level of comfort with it. And you know what? Sometimes it would be entirely proper for somebody to say, that's not right. Because it might not be right. <laughs> but you create a culture in which we can do that and we don't say, and, and by saying that, we don't say, I don't love you or, and I reject you. Yeah. No, I say that because I don't want you to think that's right when it's actually wrong. It doesn't, it doesn't jive with what God's saying. And so what we do is we, 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 we share, literally share, and, 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 and go that direction. So, I think that it is a, a lack of familiarity, and I think it is a lack of comfort level. And it could be, quite frankly, it could be that there are some that really don't think about God until they come in that door each week. You know? 
And then you really don't have anything to share because it's not like you haven't been thinking about God, so what, what do you have to share about God? Right? Um, but the, I don't think that's the case. Like, I honestly feel that as a congregation, we're missing out. I keep telling you that I want to hear you. I want to know what God's doing in your life. Do you know last week Krista shared? I didn't need to preach yesterday, last week. I didn't need to share. Service was finished as soon as she sat down. Church was done. Because she shared from her heart. It was good. It was good. She was vulnerable and she was willing to share. And I got to tell you, I was so blessed. I was so blessed. You know? So it's familiarity. It's getting used to it. Some of you are like really bristling at this stuff. <laughs> Some of you are like really nervous about this. You're thinking, oh, goodness me, we hired a cares back. <laughs> <laughs> It's going to be a benefit to all of us. I'm just a, 
I'm a, you know, I'm one guy. <laughs> My well is only so deep. And, and, and just think of what we could learn from each other. You know, some of us meet on a regular basis, your spiritual advisors, I call them. They're actually not yours. They're my spiritual advisors. And we meet, and we do this. And I, got, I don't know, you could ask any one of those guys, is it good? Yes, it's good. <laughs> is, it, is, it, is, it, is it real? Yeah, it's real. <coughs> and so there's, there's things starting to happen, and, 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 and it's good. So, so next week, as I say, it's not going to be weird or anything like that. But let's... Let's, let's not be afraid of this. As a matter of fact, let's think through the week. God, is there something that you want me to share? Because you are a priest. I am a priest. I have the gift of prophecy. I'm a teacher. I know that. But that's one gift out of all of us that's being exercised in this church, right? There are other gifts, don't get me wrong, that are being exercised. And I'm exaggerating to make the point. But I'm calling on you, church, to, to, to consider this. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, uh, we're kind of inspired by the enthusiasm of that early church. They really were captivated by you and all that you have done and just were so excited about sharing. And I'm just really thankful that you preserved that passage for us and all of the passages that relate to that. I pray, Lord, that we would be a church that is willing to go that path, that, that we would be willing to um, get back to what you intended for the church where, where we're ministering to each other and that it's not a throwback to the priests and the rabbis and, and that type of top-down worship and, and that sort of worship by proxy. Lord, I just pray that we would uh, be, that, be that church and that you'd help us and that we would not be afraid. That your Holy Spirit would be free to lead us and guide us. That we would not put you in a box. I pray this in Jesus' precious and holy name.